Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. And today we're going to talk about Dirty Girls and Shiny Happy People. (laughs) Two titles that I don't hate for once, so we're there at least. Yeah, um, Dirty Girls is such like a weird, you know, it reminds me of... um, Bad Girls. Bad Girls or where the wild things are but Mm. in premise not title but premise being like just assuming everybody's sinful and bad but i see yeah yeah it reminded me of bad girls because well we can talk about that well it has a very bad girls dynamic yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah but how are you doing today i'm good a little earlier Um, than normal I guess actually, yeah. yeah. Well, like only slightly. Only slightly. Earlier for me because I was telling you I woke up in a panic thinking yes. we were recording an hour earlier than we actually were, um, which was nice because I just got to watch more of my pop culture recommendations. So oh, good. It didn't really work out that bad for me. And I got some tea. So I'm like okay. actually fairly alert and, <laughs> and awake right now. So I'm doing good. How are you? I am like miraculously not hungover but pretty like I was that we were out late last night when we went I saw something on your Instagram yeah and I didn't know what it was we went to this uh banquet hall restaurant in Brighton Beach which is the Russian part of Brooklyn uh so we went to this like Russian banquet hall style dinner with a floor show and dancing it was actually really amazing (laughs) um alex has friends that go they actually live like right around the corner and they've been going for years and we've always like missed it for a variety of reasons and it's like it's like kind of a trek to get out there and it's like we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into but it was basically like going to someone's wedding but like you didn't know i don't know it was it was really fun is what i'm getting at there was like actually a floor show there was all kinds of, it was like a, the same band, like same singers the whole night. Like they just did some like standards. And then there was like a whole elaborate floor show that was like with more dancing and more choreography. And then they just like went back into singing like pop hits for everybody to dance to. It was great. (laughs) Anyway, but it was also BYOB and everyone brought vodka, which I've not practiced at drinking. I mean, I did fine, but like vodka and and nothing else? Pretty much just vodka. Well, some flavored vodka, but like we had a honey pepper vodka. That's <laughs> like it was pretty good. I feel like if that <laughs> that all sounds really fun, but I feel like there would be no danger of me being hungover if I if I was only confronted with vodka for drinking. You options. think that and I and then it just you know, you get swept up. People kept making toasts. Anyway, it was really fun. Basically, we went to a wedding last night. We were like, man, we should have hired this band. (laughs) They were really fun, though. Like, it was very cheesy, but it was like, you just got to fall into it. But but to be clear, it wasn't a wedding. It was just like a Saturday night. It was just a Saturday night. I mean, people were there to celebrate, like, anniversaries and birthdays, like the other parties. Like, we had a big table for, like, 14 people, but and it was mostly groups like that. But it was not anybody's wedding. But it just felt like it was, oh, this is like a great wedding that we went to. <laughs> that actually sounds pretty fun. Yeah. How was the food? Fine. Not like notable, but it wasn't bad. That that sounds unsurprising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How was the food? Fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, well, anyway. Um, let's uh we can work through your your hangover well i'm not hungover i did i did a good job but i can just you know you can just feel like well we were out we didn't leave until one and we you know so i feel i just feel like i went out and i'm like you were out until one yeah i just feel like i was out until one and and i did drink so i feel like more and more that's the problem is not the drinking it's that the late nights Mm -hmm. like where you know i'm like oh i was out till 1 30 and then i wake up the next day and i feel like i got run over by a truck yeah and i'm like well i didn't really drink that much and it's like no i just just stayed up too late yeah yeah Hmm. um all right so (laughs) okay let's talk about dirty girls (laughs) So, I mean, I think this is a really straightforward story, and most of the episode, I would say, was dedicated to kind of, first of all, introducing Caleb and reintroducing Mm -hmm. Faith and kind of just seeing how she 
is fitting into this group now and and just kind of catching catching up getting her caught up to where everybody is and then spending all this time with Caleb trying to learn more about him a little bit. So the episode opens on a potential that we haven't met running from bringers. She runs into this pickup truck with a guy dressed like a priest and he offers her help, but quickly, you know, it becomes obvious that he's just as bad as the bringers. And in fact, they're working for him. So he uh, stabs the potential and tells her to deliver a message to Buffy, and then he leaves her on the road. So she is fortunately picked up by the next car, which is Willow and Faith driving back from L.A. Um, So they take her to the hospital, and everybody kind of goes from there. So um, I think the main plot story is that Faith comes back to town. This potential slayer, you know, Caleb has injured this slayer potential to let Buffy know that, like, there's a new person there working with the first and that they're all being hunted still. So basically Buffy takes this as like reason to launch an attack quickly on Caleb, this new player. So that's what they do. They have some questionable tactics, I would say. And she goes in with her faith spike and the most experienced of, or maybe she, I forget if spike was there actually. I don't think he was. Uh, he was. Oh, okay. I was like, they left somebody behind. They left Willow behind. But they go with the, like, most experienced potentials. They go where Caleb is staying, which is in a winery, kind of inexplicably. Uh, and they just don't do well at all. They lose some potentials, uh, among other things. Um, and then they are incredibly defeated at the end. Meanwhile, we get to meet Caleb, who's played by Nathan Fillion. <laughs> hot off the presses of Firefly, I assume, as is Gina Torres in the next episode. Um, I think these are pre-Firefly. No. No? Okay. No. Well, I'll double check after I finish. Uh, Anyway, but basically Caleb is not a priest, but he used to be a priest. He's a guy. He's been working with the first for this whole season because he he mentions that he blew up the Watchers Council building um, and then has just been helping the first do other things. Um... I mean, and he's, I think, reasonably creepy and uh, pretty nice to have a real villain. I feel like I should say more about him, but really then I'll just be describing the episodes. Suffice it to say, the first is now working through Caleb, who has super strength of some kind. We don't exactly know the details about him still, but he's happy to launch this attack on a group of women. He is a real villain. I mean, this, yeah... I feel like this episode clicked right away for me. I mean, not to say that I don't have any complaints, but like, why, why did we wait so long to give the first a corporeal form? I mean, I get, he's not the first, right? I don't want to make, I'm not trying to say that like, and now this is the first and he's embodied because the first will never have that. But like, it's just so much more interesting when a thing can do, th- the villain can do things. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just, I appreciated having him there and I like, Caleb and so far I still like him as a villain obviously yeah, I like him as a person <laughs> yeah he's not the first but he's a minion of the first who is not a bringer like so he's the first like voluntary I guess willing agent of the first I mean he even mentions in this episode that he's the one who blew up the watchers council mm-hmm. yeah I said that um so yeah I think you're right it it is so much more interesting to have a person that you know, Buffy can actually fight and interact with who isn't just like psychologically taunting them with no real power of yeah. their own, right? And and it makes it so much more believable that this is a threat. And also, I mean, Caleb appears to have some sort of superpowers, mm-hmm. so he is a threat. And, you know, also apparently very intelligent and crafty because he lays out his plan to the first and Buffy falls right into it. I yeah, mean, he for says, sure. I, I have the apple and she's going to come get it. And I mean, Buffy doesn't even hesitate before falling right into his trap, yes. which we can talk about because um, that's kind of a question I kind of want to. I agree. Discuss, I ha- that's, I, like, yeah. I everybody's guess. like discussions around that decision. But but Caleb himself is like he was such a right a nice breath of air into this season. He That's really been is, a bit of a slog. <laughs> I I also think that the decision to have Caleb be who he is, yeah. um, apparently some sort of serial killer of young women, yeah. um, is extra it's, creepy and extra poignant considering the army the, that's coming to fight him. Yeah, so, I agree. 
like this army of young girls comes to fight him and he is like these are the people I kill so it's almost unfair because like he knows their weaknesses he knows how to taunt them he's laughing at their idea that they could ever hurt him Mm -hmm. um I mean even Spike and Xander are the only non-female um antagonist that he faced and he pretty brutally confronts both of them yeah I did leave out the big (laughs) moment of this episode which is this is the episode when Xander loses his eye yeah and not just like oh gets hit in the head and like gets stabbed like Caleb like plunges his thumb into Xander's eye socket yes it's very hard to watch graphic and and shocking and also what struck me was it's amazing that Xander hasn't been this hurt before it is yeah and I think it was a good decision not you know to yeah I mean are they gonna we'll go back we'll talk about this when we talk about the decision to go into battle and maybe this is more relevant to Xander's rallying speech but I think this is the only way to go from this episode where Xander is Buffy's champion to perhaps against her is to give Xander something to be mad about. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, I guess just while we're still talking about Caleb and basically just, you know, his introduction into this season, I think what's also so important about having, it's not just that Buffy has something corporeal to fight. It's that now there's a, you know, what, what Buffy the show has always done so well is just give us such fun, interesting characters. And like the first, because it doesn't have a person, like I guess what I'm trying to say is not only do they have something physical to fight, but now they have a villain that can have a personality. So there's like something yes. to react to. Like the first is just literally a nothing. You know, it's like such a nothing entity that has been so hard to come up with ways for them to have you know, these fights. It's like they had to have the Uber ramps before, which was like a nice idea, but it doesn't mean, you know, it, it's not the first. And so like... And you know what I think the other problem is, is that when the first appears, the first is only ever other people. Exactly. So it's like even more unknowable, which like I think is what they're going for. It just sure does make for like lousy storytelling. You know, like I, I think the first was just such a poor concept ultimately for the big bad that it's so much more satisfying to have Caleb here. I also love how he's sort of like a twist on the mayor, right? Like he also has this really righteousness he's got. It's not just that he used to be a priest. He really seems to be like a zealot. I guess he's not like the mayor at all. (laughs) But he, it just reminded me of like, it's so fun to have these villains that are really convinced of their ways and are really proper in one sense. And then obviously just... Degree, you know, well, terrible his, on the, his villainy the comes from his yeah. conviction too in yes. righteousness, like yeah. you know, and that women are inherently sinful and evil, and like his his misogyny in that truck is so, shocking. Yeah, honestly. it is. Like it's, I mean, it just took my breath away. Yeah, where that moment where he's like, "Well, Makes that you know, did you switch. ever think they're chasing you because you're a whore?" It's like, awful. <laughs> yeah, I I love it though. And like, it just kind of so... makes you go, "Wait." What? Yeah, yeah. And then it's not like such a shock that like, oh, this guy who looked like he would be helpful is going to turn out to be bad. But the yeah, you're right that like the words they give him and the way he delivers it is still shocking. Even if you could see coming that like, oh, this guy might be bad. You don't see that coming, you know, like he's really taking it a step above. And I wonder, too, the decision to make Caleb perhaps not a priest in good standing, but formerly of an organized religion I, I yeah. was thinking about this. I don't know what they're trying to do with that position, but this whole concept, especially this season, of Buffy trying to protect these girls, but ultimately rallying them to fight someone who thinks they shouldn't exist, shouldn't have the power that they have. And also we see Buffy continuing to fight those that made her into what she is. Like, you mm-hmm. know, first the Watchers Council and then now those the first watchers or whoever she interacted with in the shadow puppets. But um, this idea that women are fighting against institutions that yeah. don't think they have value or, or only have value on their terms. And so I, I'm wondering if it's not an accident to choose to make Caleb be a representative of organized religion that has historically mm-hmm. blamed women for the troubles of man and also treated them really horribly. I mean, I don't think it's an accident at all. Yeah. yeah it'd be, it's hard not to read that as some sort of critique, you know, or at least comment on organized religion and patriarchy, you know, established patriarchies kind of. I'm not sure if I'm saying that exactly right, but yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then it also does this great double duty where it really establishes the, how 
he views himself, right? Like he knows he's not in the church anymore, but he still likes wearing this garb, I think because it makes him feel, I, I we keep saying righteous, but like, it, you know, he thinks he's doing, I don't know if it's God's bidding exactly, but like he thinks he's doing the right thing and he has so, yeah, he has just has so much belief in it that it makes sense that he still thinks of himself as priestly, even if it has nothing to do with the actual official beliefs of any one religion. Yeah, I'm not sure he said righteous, but I think he screams righteous. He does. So. He really does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, also, it's hard not to like Nathan Fillion. This is actually the first thing I ever saw him in, which Same, is a little bit I, wild, right? I like, just looked it up. So Firefly yeah. did air before this, and I didn't watch Firefly in its first run. No. Um, because Fox did such a bad job of airing it. And yeah, but yeah. <laughs> he he is great. He's just so. He just oozes charisma in a way that also just really sells this character who it's like, obviously it's, you hate him, of course, because he's terrible. And it's not like, oh, I, I hate him, but I could kind of like him. It's just that he's so like, he's so magnetic on the screen. It's like, it's so fascinating to watch him. You, I have to know what he's going to say and do next. I just, I mean, that's all Nathan Fillion, like that aspect of it. I think Caleb is still a well-written villain finally, but I think so much of it is is resting on him. And I don't know, but it does seem like he's having fun. I think so too, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, is that a good thing? I don't know. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, well, <laughs> I have nothing further to yeah. use on. I mean, a lot regard. of people seem to be having fun in this episode, so we'll just say like, We'll, we'll just, like, lump him in with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think playing such a nasty piece of work might be a little bit fun. But he's definitely having having a time with it, like, you know, chewing the scenery and really hamming mm-hmm. it up and making it, making the most out of Caleb. Yeah. I'm just, I think really the regret here is that they didn't bring Caleb in sooner. I do think... Looking at the air dates of Firefly and the way that him and uh, Gina Torres both showed up, it has to be like, well, you guys don't, aren't on that show anymore, so here's something else to do. But I wonder I if guess. they always thought that yeah. if they always planned to have one or both of these characters or like, I have a lot of questions about the behind the scenes. But anyway, regardless, I'm happy he's here, but I do wish he had shown up sooner. It's true. Caleb does work so well, but he does read a bit as like a last minute like addition. But I also, I mean, I think it's a really good solution to this problem that they were having, right? Which is that like the first is just so flat and so boring as a villain that it was like, we got to spice it up somehow. So like maybe it was just a happy coincidence, well, a sad coincidence that Firefly was canceled, but then that he could come do this. But yeah, it is, I I, I do wonder like how much of that was planned from the get-go. Or if maybe Caleb was always planned and someone else would have played him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, I just, I, I, I kind of think I agree with your positioning that maybe this was like a last minute, like, well, we'll just try this. Because Caleb works so well that it's frustrating that they wouldn't have brought him in sooner, which right. makes me think they didn't think they needed him Right. Sooner. I think so, too. I don't, I think they're trying to solve a problem. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> At least then they recognized that they had one, you know? Yeah. I mean, Caleb also terrible at being a vineyard owner and, like, drinking wine. Um, <laughs> Why was he well, on a vineyard? I guess it was just cool scenery. <laughs> I couldn't... I guess... I, mean, I didn't really get anything out of that. It really made for, like, a pretty interesting fight scene. Yeah, with, like, exploding get... wine barrels everywhere. But I just noticed that Caleb can't be very good at his job because he thinks White Zinfandel is a white wine. Mm. <laughs> which is basically, like... Proto rose, <laughs> at least in America. <laughs> um, well, so we, I mean, we spent so much time, time talking about how Caleb gets introduced into this episode, but I also thought a lot of this episode was a you know reintroduction of Faith. We obviously, because we've been watching both shows, we saw her on Angel, but even watching Angel, I felt like this was also like a good, like I just feel like they're doing a lot in this episode to kind of just like not reset, <laughs> you know, because we're so far along that we can't reset the whole story, but to just kind of like remind us like who people are and what they're supposed to be doing and maybe tweaking it a little bit as they go along. I don't know. I, what I'm trying to say is that I really enjoyed Faith's reintroduction to this show and like kind of watching her go back to meet the people that she either has met before or in Spike's case, hasn't really met and just kind of seeing how she sees how everybody's changed and get to kind of look at them through her eyes. I thought was kind of refreshing also. Cause it's like Buffy's been so one note this season 
it's nice to shake that up too. Buffy, no, the, char- agree, Buffy the character I, has been so one note. Yeah. And Faith is who I was referring to who's also seems to be having a really good time. Oh, like Eliza yeah. Dushku seems yeah. to be enjoying coming back and playing in this world. And, and I you know, as much it. as she spent her time on Angel, I think this this is obviously Faith's origin story in the Buffy universe and you know, to see her interacting with Buffy and Willow and Giles and Spike again. And I love that interaction where she shows up in the cemetery. Yes. Everybody's like confused as to like who's who fighting. And she's like, am I the good slayer now? Yeah. Like the, just, like, the <laughs> so confusion good. that she has about that. And, <sighs> you know, this um, callback to Faith in Buffy's body meeting Spike for the first time mm-hmm. and having Spike have no idea what she's talking about. You know, all of that's really fun and it kind of rewards long-term viewers. Yeah. Um, but then also having Spike and Faith actually sit down and chat and connect on a level that I think frustratingly is supposed to read as like jealousy inducing for Buffy but really what I enjoyed out of it is like this idea of these two reformed bad people connecting about the things that they enjoy about life and like just really kind of seeming like chums. (laughs) No I totally agree and I I agree that it's a misstep to try and twist it into this jealousy inducing moment for Buffy because that, that made it so like that turned Ugh. it into a bad cliche whereas before I was like I love watch I didn't think I would like watching Spike and Faith together because I did think it would fall too much into the like oh she it just would fall into all their old habits kind of of the also the show and then like when they got into it yeah exactly what you were saying it was like they both needed to talk to one another or like it was just so clearly so necessary for the two of them to have some conversation like that and Buffy you know, whatever her relationship with Spike is, she just can't relate to him on that point. So it's just nice to see them. Yeah, I agree. And it was like, they totally fit in together. And I was like, I love this. Like, I do want to watch them become friends and just like pal around. Like, I don't know. I really like Yeah, I'd too. watch a spinoff yeah. of Faith and Spike, like out to fight evil. <laughs> and I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't think we've made it a secret that like, I don't think Elijah Dushku is the best actress, especially even in this show. And, but I really was like, you know what? I did miss Faith. And I think she is, it's at least one character that she's really nailed for the most part. You know, like I, I had no questions about her in this. You know what I think it is? Because I think any flaws or limitations that she has as an actress are just seem like they're part of Faith. Yeah. So like, because it works well with Faith. Um, yeah, no, I, I fully enjoy watching her in this. And and I also really felt bad for her, you know, in that scene in the hospital where she kind of asks Willow, yes. like, hey, you know, someone's out there killing Slayers. I could have used a heads up. And Willow's kind of weak excuse of like, well, we thought you were safe in prison. Yeah. is like, I don't know. Somebody could have still sent her a letter or something. And no, we did I... see in that Angel episode, like, they needed to warn her. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Faith can take care of herself, but, like, it obviously could have easily gone the other way, and it's kind of a bummer that she realizes they didn't have bad intentions, but, like, she was never a priority for them, and and to Faith's credit, kind of just accepts it as what it is, and I think also acknowledges, like, to a certain degree, that's her fault. Like, of right. course, Faith isn't a priority for them. Faith hasn't earned that, but I think if you're out there trying to save the Slayer line an active slayer should be someone who gets a first phone call. I mean, at the I, very least from Giles. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think it's, I have to just go with it because for all the reasons that you just explained, it worked really well thematically and it did make a lot of like emotional sense. I do have to say that like, I really don't, I don't believe that Buffy and Willow and Giles would be that stupid. <laughs> you know, like that's the part for me that's like, well, this is just a network television show and she's not a character on this show so there's just so many like behind the scenes reasons why they couldn't really, they didn't mention her sooner, but like taking a step back and really thinking about it, like it doesn't matter what Buffy's personal, any of their personal feelings are about Faith. If they're worried about the Slayer line dying, they should have been keeping an eye on her, you know? So like that part to me, you can't think too hard about it. Cause I think there's just so much, so many TV specific reasons why it didn't happen that way. And I think they make it the resolution like, or rather they make the um, consequences really work well in this episode, but I, but I mean, I don't think I guess that they what you're that. saying is like, if they had to show Faith receiving the information, but why can't they just have a throwaway line like, oh, somebody called the prison and alert Faith? Or yeah. like, that takes two seconds, especially when they spent half an episode with Buffy trying to like 
take Spike into the initiative to save him and like she can't even make a phone call for Faith. Well, but I guess that's what I that's where I'm saying though. Like I don't think that Buffy is that silly and stupid as to not call Faith. But I think it emotionally works a lot better that they left her out. Yeah. You know, so anyway, I, all I'm trying to say is that it definitely still works well, in the show, but I think it doesn't hold up to like, I, you know, but then again, maybe my whole flaw or really one of the whole nitpicks of kind of this tail end of the season is like, everybody's just making so many tactical is- issues and like some of them are believable and some of them aren't, or tactical mistakes rather, that it's like, it's, I guess that's why I bring it up. Normally it wouldn't bother me at all because like the emotion works, so who cares? But because it's sort of, be- it's part of this theme that they're building, <laughs> it's just kind of frustrating. Well, the other frustrating thing I just thought of is like maybe they chose this, like, ending this resolution. Maybe it was planned because they didn't want Faith to know because they wanted that fight in the prison on the Angel episode to be confusing and not make a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. Which is frustrating in itself because like what we're basically weakening a plot element on Buffy to shore up the nonsense on Angel. Mm -hmm. But okay. Yeah. Sure. Totally worth it. All right, well, let's let's talk about the big Buffy yeah. and the trap and Buffy's decision-making here. It's hard, yeah. What do you think, like, so So I, I wonder, like, what do you think about her falling into the trap? Like, do you think she made the right decision or do you think the show is working really hard to make us think she's making the right, the wrong decision? I think because it, I, think, I like, yes. the show is really confusing because I think there's that, scene where Buffy and Faith go on recon and everything seems smart and well thought out and then the show is trying really really hard to be like this is a bad idea I think I agree that the show is trying to tell us it's a bad idea I definitely think they're making a lot of mistakes and I think again it's hard to like knowing their experience and knowing who they are I just when they make the mistakes I tend to not believe that that's what those characters would really do so that is one thing that is annoying I think the second thing though is that like in Buffy's defense they're literally they are like like they have to have a confrontation at some point so like I understand that there is a debate about was this the right moment and whatever but like so much of this episode I think was like spent on like Rona that like the potentials being like but we're not ready but we're not ready and it's like you're never going to be right. You're never going to be ready. So like, I think they make the, the opposition to her reasoning is so whiny that I don't like that. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm kind of of two minds about it. I, I, I think that they, I don't know why Buffy felt like she needed to rush in in this exact moment against somebody that she doesn't know anything about. And I think that that her and Faith's recon was sort of like, yeah, it is confusing. Like, was that good recon or not? Cause like in an episode of television, you never see more than a minute of someone's recon. So it's like hard for us to decide like, oh, was that like, did they half-ass it or or not? So yes, I think the show is just all over the place with it is, is frankly what my opinion is. But I don't think that Buffy's wrong that like they need to, they're being hunted. They can't hide forever. So they have to fight. Like there isn't another option. So in that regard, it's like hard to really think that her philosophy is wrong. That's my opinion. I agree. And I think the show doesn't really know how to present this either because we have Caleb's point of view, which is I'm going to trap her. We have Xander or Giles immediately saying this is a trap and Buffy deciding anyway that, well, he might have a girl, he might have a weapon. I don't know, but I have to go in and get it. And like that presents Buffy as not taking a beat to think through who Caleb is, what she might be facing they they know there's probably some bringers they don't know anything about Caleb though and like you see that in the fight where they like he has these this like they don't even know that he's strong and they're yeah. all and they're all taken yeah exactly they're all taken aback and surprised by this and maybe a little bit more recon might have you know turned that up or some research on you know murderous priests or mm-hmm. something um but Buffy also isn't I think she's not wrong when she's saying she's desperate to get the girls into the field yeah. because ultimately they're going to have to fight this army of uber vamps that she's had a vision of and they can't go in having no fighting experience and so in that case I think she's not wrong but I think she did go in a little bit blindly um and sort of did like half a recon and then but it's like um, we only know that it was half recon because the show told us that after the fact you know what I mean it's like now we or the show didn't even really tell us that they just implied that because of everything that happened so I think that's where I'm annoyed about it though is it's like well what I found annoying was that everybody was kind of piling on Buffy like this is a bad idea but like nobody really knows anything at that point and Buffy's kind of calling the shots and then the show 
adds to the confusion by Buffy calling the shots, everybody's questioning it, and then we have Xander give this rallying speech mm-hmm. about Buffy's earned their trust, like, she only has their best interests at heart, like, you know, yeah. she's not doing this because she doesn't care about you, she's doing this because she thinks this is the only way to do it, and, like, you know, everybody gets really emotional, and, like, it's, like, a very, like, high point, and then it's immediately undercut by they walk in, and immediately everything turns out to be wrong. But I don't like, think that it's undercut by that, that the, everything that he said is still true. She thinks she's making no, it, I, you know, so it's No, like, I think it's undercut by everything going wrong, and then the reaction. Yes, the reaction After is, it goes yes. wrong is that immediately everybody's, like, glaring at Buffy like how dare you like you know the attitude towards her and it's like they didn't listen to a word Xander said and like that's including Xander didn't listen maybe to himself but I also think that's why Xander is the one to get injured because to go his 180 from that speech to what we'll see coming up is like something has to happen to change his but mind. I have and, to, and also yeah. let's not forget that like two of the potentials also did die. But um, I think this is again though where I'm going to be, so I know I'm going to be mad next week because I'm always mad <laughs> in that moment. And, but what you described about, and, and, and like, I guess I don't want to focus too much on this because it hasn't, that hasn't happened yet. But I guess all I'm trying to say though is that for the moment, I understand why everybody's upset. And I think this episode could have been a more important lesson in like how how sad it's going to be because this fight is going to be fatal for some people. And instead they use it to be like, oh my God, can you believe that Buffy got potentials killed? As though any of them truly believe that they were all going to make it out of this alive. So I think that's the part that's like, Yes. Why did they spin it this way? Oh my God, Xander lost an eye? Xander's been fighting demons for seven years. It's amazing he hasn't lost more than that. You know what I mean? So it's like this this reaction that like, it's all Buffy's fault that there were casualties. But like, you guys fight demons every day for a living, basically. Like, how did you think that wasn't a, a possibility? So like, that's for me where I think this goes wrong is like, not using it as a like, harsh reality check of like, wow, there's going to be real costs to this. And this time, you know, things are more serious, but to try and spin it as like, well, now we all know that Buffy messed up because uh, somebody died. Like people have died forever in this show. That It's weird to me that that's, I hate that that's the choice they are, that they're making. I do. I do agree with you that it's a little bit unfair to lay all of this at Buffy's feet where, you know, Caleb also them. part <laughs> of rallying them for battle is like, okay, these are the ways you attack and this is what you need to do. And like, they're sort of blaming Buffy for not being everywhere at once and like protecting everyone. Um, but also you're right, like there's this weird shock that people might get injured and might get hurt. And I mean, they've seen this Uber vamp that Buffy killed. They've seen what the first has done to other potentials. None of this should really be shocking. And and it's like, they, I think they wanna just stay hunkered in the Summer's house and like, protected but as but then even then everybody says like we're sitting ducks here so it's like what do you want do you want to go be proactive or do you want to just wait around in the safety of the kitchen like yeah you can't really have both and I think it kind of does highlight that these girls are really young Mm -hmm. they're probably scared and terrified and emotional and like all of that okay but I think where I get really frustrated is the immediate 180 of Buffy's friends cohorts where it's you know, everybody's calling her out. And, and it's almost like they're calling her out before the battle just so that they have, like, an I told you so moment I after agree. the fact. I agree. Of, because, because then, cause Xander's speech doesn't track with that. And this is where I think I keep bringing it up because the show is very contradictory of what it seems to be saying about this. Like, is Buffy just high on her own horse or is she really the hero that they should all follow into battle or is it a mistake? Or like, And also, like it just, is she not allowed to make mistakes? Like, there's no yeah. way to do this perfectly. No one's done this before. You know what I mean? Well, so and it doesn't help that Buffy's, like, walking around telling Giles, help the girls who still need a teacher. Like, implication yeah. being she knows everything she needs to know. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to think from this. And so, like, that's what makes it worse. I yeah, think, I agree. I... I have opinions, but then it's, like, confusing because the show, like, isn't being consistent of what it's showing And it's not like Giles has, like, an alternative plan, really, other than waiting. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like you do it or you don't do it. I don't know. I just, I'm, like, not convinced by any of the opposition, frankly. And you're right that, like, I'm not trying to talk about next week's episode, but it's frustrating. I guess the reason why it's hard not to talk about it is because it's, it's impossible knowing where they're going 
next week is impossible not to see how hard they're working in this episode to make sure that it seems reasonable when like really those are all the parts of this episode that stick out like they don't make any sense right now and it's like oh because they're setting something up i just hate when we can see the strings like they're working overtime to try and make something that's not really plausible seem like it's gonna be okay next week when like it's already not okay it already doesn't make any sense so i just there just i feel like there were ways to tweak this and make this story go a different way i just also it's just such a weird like why episode 18 and 19 are we questioning Season 7, episode 18, 19 is when everyone really starts questioning Buffy. I'm like, we don't have time to sort this out, guys. Like, there's only four more episodes, right? I think that's also why this bugs me so much. Like, I don't understand why they didn't do this earlier in the season. It's going to come up with the Uber ban, but it kind of did, but, like, they didn't really go anywhere with it. And it's like, I wish we had more time to flesh out, like is Buffy making mistakes or are they wrong? And instead we're like cram it into two episodes and then they have to turn it around because the series has to end. Like, so I just think there's like a lot of poor judgment on like how they place this story and how they're telling it. I think they're running out of time. Like, I think there are story beats that they mapped out and then now they're looking at the wall yeah. and the calendar and going. Exactly. But crap. that's what I'm like. Why didn't, <laughs> why wouldn't you plan a turncoat thing for episode 14? You know, it just is weird. Anyway. Suffice it to say, I really enjoyed watching this episode. Obviously, I feel like most of my hate is directed at next week, and it's just really hard not to see it popping the way that it's popping up now. I thought this episode was good, overall. No, I thought so. And, like, all the things we said, like, Faith's interactions, Caleb's introduction, um, it it is enjoyable to watch. And like I said, that fight scene was also fun because, you know... Spike gets thrown into a vat of red wine and, like, this river of... Like, you know, the wine and the blood and everything mixing, like, it's visually very, mm-hmm. very cool. Um, also, I thought there were some... Uh, well, I don't want to say funny, but there were some moments that I was kind of laughing at in this episode. Um, you know, Buffy tells Xander, I only want the potentials who have been here from the beginning. And so a potential slayer that we've never seen before yeah. is going to die. <laughs> It, like, had, like, red yeah. shirt written all over yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, then, of course, I think yeah. it was Annabelle. But um, I was laughing because I was like, these girls have been here from the beginning. Yeah. I've never yeah. seen this girl before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but the actual comedy in this episode was um, pretty good. Other than I could have lived without the Xander fantasy scene. Also, Rachel Wilson. Yeah, well, I was just going to bring that up. That Yeah, that wasn't... That wasn't necessary, but yeah, it was. That made me wonder, like, wait, Rachel Bilson, who yeah, wasn't a potential? Yeah, yeah. That was it. The only reason that that scene I don't completely hate it is because I was like, wait a second, this just puts this episode in such a specific time and place that she could show up and be here in that role is like so funny to me. Um, this is like yeah, right before yeah, the it's OC. Gotta be. But I also really loved Andrew as always as the comedic relief, talking about how Faith killed a Vulcan. <laughs> Or a guy who studied Vulcans, whatever, because he got Vulcanologist confused. I thought that was amazing and hilarious. He also shed a single tear. That whole scene where Faith is fighting the Vulcan, like, that was a moment where I was watching going, somebody is having a lot of fun. Like, somebody writing this is like, I know, we'll have Faith fight a Vulcan. And he also, Andrew also shed a single tear, I believe, during Xander's moving speech. That was just, I was like, that is a chef kiss. I love it. (laughs) So, (laughs) yes. Oh, also, uh, I had to look this up that when they go to, um, you know, when they go to bombard Caleb and they just start talking about how he's in a vineyard and Spike makes a joke about how it's not Falcon Crest or it is Falcon Crest. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but I looked it up and it's a soap opera, which is just a great, you know, a great throwaway line for Spike because we know he loves soap operas. Does it take place in a vineyard? Falcon Crest, I think, is the winery estate setting for Okay, I assumed that was something that it was, and then I was yeah. too lazy to look it up. But I was like, "Oh, that's probably like." A well, pop I knew it was a pop culture thing, thing but <laughs> it was a specifically a soap opera thing. That's funny. He Spike does. likes his stories. I was like, "Oh, it must be from Passions." Then I was like, "Oh, wait a second, it's a whole separate one." <laughs> no, it wasn't from then Passions because I yeah. might have had an inkling. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. Well, should we move on? Okay. Well, yeah. Let's let's talk about uh-huh. shiny happy people. Um, I don't, what do I want to say about this? Okay, well, so at the end of the last episode, this demon child that Cordelia has been carrying is 
is born and Angel and Connor immediately like kneel at her feet like we're unworthy and so um we pick up right there and you know they're they're chatting with her they're like oh I don't understand like you're amazing and um Angel's apologizing for almost killing her and then she just disappears so Angel and Connor come back to the hotel everybody's wondering like what's going on Gunn and um Wesley are dismembering <laughs> Skip in the basement Fred's like trying to clean up like everybody's you know doing busy work while they wait to find out like if Angel succeeded and Angel and Connor come back and um they're they have Cordelia who is no longer pregnant but is unconscious and so everybody's really confused like what happened where's the demon and Angel and Connor aren't really explaining very well but soon it comes out that they seem to be under a bit of a spell like they're saying she's beautiful she's you know amazing the best thing that's ever happened and everybody's like oh my God, this is really bad. And then this demon shows up at the hotel. She stopped to go shopping, mm-hmm. I guess, and get clothes. And um, everybody immediately kneels at her feet and is worshiping her. And so we get a bit of time where she's convinced them that everything is really good. Now they can finally be the peaceful or like, I guess, peaceful interpersonally, mm-hmm. like getting along, like the team that they need to be to go out in the world and fight evil. And so they systematically start going out in Los Angeles and like killing all the vampires that have kind of taken up residence since the sun got blotted out. And, you know, they're dropping the crime rates and they're all really excited and everybody's kind of getting along. Um, and then they interact with some guy who doesn't see what everybody else sees and, you know, says, calls, you Jasmine, can just call her. I'm giving yeah. the game away. I think call so. It's so confusing yeah. without the name. Um, yeah. Like, says, don't you see it? Don't you see it? Like, get rid of it. And so Angel gets angry and starts beating this guy to a pulp. And Jasmine kind of, like, calms him down and, like, lays her hands on the guy and is like, it's okay, not, you know, he just doesn't see the light or whatever. So they come back to the hotel, and in this fight, like, Jasmine has been injured and has cut on her sweater so Fred takes her sweater to try to go clean it and she can't get the spot out um so she comes in to Jasmine's new hotel room and tries to tell her like oh I I washed it until my hands bled and then she looks up and she sees this awful thing that apparently this guy had seen which is like Jasmine is not beautiful she has like things coming Mm -hmm. out of her face and like she's pretty much as demonic and evil as they were expecting but Fred is the only one who can see this and so it quickly becomes apparent that nobody else remotely sees anything like what she's seeing so she leaves the hotel and goes to talk to this guy and he has like been deformed by where Jasmine touched him so Fred is like horrified comes back to the hotel where meanwhile Jasmine has sort of started to gather Mm -hmm. followers and so Fred realizes okay, this is kind of tricky. She pulls Wesley aside, tries to get him to believe her about what she says, but instead Wesley goes and alerts everybody that Fred mm-hmm. is evil and a non-believer or whatever. And so Fred basically has to escape with her life. And um, she's sitting in a in a diner somewhere and Jasmine comes on the TV and everybody in the diner like kneels down. So Fred is l- alone in the world aware of the truth of jasmine and that's where we leave off um jasmine gets named because of the blooming jasmine at night at the hotel so so we didn't actually oh oh oh, oh, she also i also want to bring up she also continues this idea of the major retcon like telling connor like you were born so that i could be born and that you know i got angel and darla together so that they could um, they could make you, like when Angel went and fought the trials to mm. try to save Darla's life, you were the life that he was gifted, mm. like blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, I, um, I, yeah. We didn't uh, do a, I didn't gauge your feelings on this before we started recording, so I actually have no idea what your reaction is. I did not hate this episode. <laughs> I didn't hate it, but I was, I was, con- I think like on the surface like if I yes. was just watching it like it was fairly entertaining and like it was interesting and and also like 
what I really enjoyed was like the peacefulness so much. That's between everybody. Yeah, like, was, like Wesley and Gunn yes. are getting along, a, and everybody's like not fighting for once. And it was like you know Connor's I calling know. Angel dad, yes, and that I was, was like, exactly this what is I amazing. Liked about it. I, I was like, this. finally, like, can yeah. we just rest for a minute? <laughs> But when, I, you dig, when you dig into what's actually happening, I can't sustain that level of, like, enjoyment because I just get really frustrating. Like, Jasmine's asserting mm. that everything that happened with the Beast was, like, birth pains yeah. or something, which is, like, so crazy because we spent half the season with the sun blotted out and everybody's trying to figure out what's going on, like, who the Beast is and then who's the Beast Master. And she's like, oh, don't worry about that. That was just, like, a well, small thing I, on the way to, this, to my greatness. And it's, like... But I think that is a good explanation because they're all under her enchantment right now or whatever it is, right? Like they will believe anything she says. I think that is, I think that's okay because it stands out to us because we're not under a spell, you know, as viewers. So we, that sticks out to you and I because it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense, but they haven't caught on yet. So I actually think that kind of made, I thought that, I thought that kind of stuff worked. I I mean, I'm obviously, I'm not in favor of this whole storyline and how it took to get here. So like with that big caveat of like this whole season has been, a lot of bad things for a lot of bad reasons. But if it was like, if this was like out the gate episode one, I think I would have been like, I could watch this season. <laughs> I guess is kind of where I'm at of like, I did like all the things they did. In I the, feel like in contained in this actual episode, anything that kind of had to do with how they got there was obviously annoying. I felt like I was more annoyed because it, Instead of reading, like, to me in the moment of, like, her telling them a tale of, like, this is why all of that was okay, it just, to me, read as part of the larger retcon that the show is, like, trying to do. So not only are they trying to retcon this entire fourth season, but they're also trying to retcon season three and all the way back to, like, the middle of season two. So yeah. I just feel like... yeah yeah yeah. I'm not okay. that stupid and the show seems to think I am and they're like oh wait everything we've ever done on this show was a lie and it's like there are some shows that could pull that off this is not yeah. one of them because it clearly is just lazy writing like they were like oh we wrote ourselves into a corner here's how we and get it out poof, yeah, nothing it we've ever done dream. matters <laughs> and yeah and it's it's especially because we had to go through an entire season of Angel and Darla. And then we had to go through an entire season of the drama of Connor and Holtz and all of that. And it's like, yeah, what does all of that mean if Connor's birth was only to bring Jasmine into the world? And like, what does it mean if like Darla, you know, dying is only for this? Like we sat through a lot of garbage to make this happen. And I just like cannot buy that that was all the part of the plan. Like. To me, what that does is, like, it's sending a signal that I'm supposed to somehow believe that the writers have mapped this out right, since the right, middle right. of season two. And I'm sorry, we've been watching this show. Yeah, There's no, no way. that's fair. And I have to say, looking at my notes now, I see that I specifically wrote, quote, it was birth pains was a terrible line. <laughs> so maybe I, I guess I, I, I still stand by my kind of defense of that as a concept, but I maybe that is why it bothered you. Because, like, now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I think it was, like, a... Ham, like oddly hammy line delivery that was like what <laughs> I do by them believing it I guess is what I'll maintain of what I said before but I yeah you have to right. buy that they believe it because otherwise this episode doesn't but I definitely sense. agree with you that like I think all we've ever wanted out of this show was for this group of people to become an ensemble and like they've somehow never done that. So like if it if we had to bring Jasmine into this show to make everybody get along, like fine. <laughs> I like I'm obviously half joking, but like seeing Angel and Connor get along was like, God, we could have been doing this the whole time. Like, why weren't we doing this? And like Wes and Gunn. To see Fred and Gunn not Wes, at each other's Wes or not Gunn. Fred and Gunn, Wesley and Gunn, like not, not at each other's throats. Yes, we could have been doing this Allie, this not, whole time instead of some cliche. Not only love were they getting along, they were wearing matching dismembering outfits. It was adorable. <laughs> you know what? Okay, so there were a lot of elements of this episode that I will say gave me like momentary yes. joy. Like Wesley and Gunn running out of the basement just <laughs> like Ghostbusters. So I guess that's, like, what, that's really what it, like, yeah. Oh, that's, and that's cute. really what I mean when I say that I like like this episode. It's not yes for all the reasons that you're saying. It's obviously infuriating that we've like gotten to this point and that this is where the show's chosen to go. But I think on just just watching this episode alone, I think that episode made internal sense. Like it worked internally. It doesn't work with the rest of the show, 
for all the reasons that you've explained and that we've been explaining for this entire season four. But like, I think Jasmine, like, I mean, speaking, you know, speaking about the other Firefly alums, I actually really like the way Gina Torres plays this. Like she's just got such this like uncanniness to her, like this uncanny pleasantness that is just very interesting. Like I really liked watching the way that everybody, she really is the yeah, perfect like, casting for Jasmine. Watching everybody fall that. at her like, feet. Cause you buy that everybody looks at her and yeah. is like, yeah. Stars in their Cause eyes. she's like, it's not just that she's really beautiful though. It's like, she holds herself exactly well. Her smile is like perfectly plastered on, but like, I don't know. I just really thought she worked as what they were trying to sell us on her being in the moment. Again, no, she's not an explanation for Connor. That's obviously BS. But Jasmine herself and the way she functioned in this episode, I thought was like super cool. And like, I like that everybody was getting along and that it was so obviously everything is just seething underneath waiting for it to come up. And, you know, we didn't, I didn't know exactly how it was going to come up. So I don't know. I mean, I liked it. And the way they interact with her is yes. super enjoyable. Like, everybody arguing over, like, what to name her mm-hmm. and, like, um, or not even arguing, but, like, yes. pleasantly discussing this what to work. name her and Fred's, like, breakdown of, like, she's not here and yeah, I'm so yeah. sad. And, like, you know, all of that is, like, comical in its own way. Um, yeah, like, I, okay, that's, yes, I will grant you that in, in a, a vacuum, vacuum, this episode is, in, is enjoyable, but it's not in a vacuum, so, like, that's the problem. But we can talk about the elements that Well, I Okay, and I have vacuum. other questions. It seems like, and it's hard because I think between Skip last episode and Jasmine in this episode, it's hard to know. I think there's still, even, I don't mean this in the way, in the snarky way that I normally mean it, like, the show is actually still getting at, like, who Jasmine is. So she's given us an explanation this episode and I genuinely don't remember if that's accurate or not, right? Like, I feel like the explanation she gave is that she is one of the powers, one of the powers that be, right? And she was somehow excommunicated and then took all this effort to get her back here on Earth so that she can quote unquote, like, do good. Obviously, we don't believe her entirely, but is she really a power? I mean, don't tell me because I don't remember. That I don't remember. The only thing that struck out to me about her explanation is that, you know, she she left for reasons but then came back because of the balance between good and evil and she says she came back as a reward because they've been doing so well against evil well and that's like, obviously my her. instinct to think is it's yeah. the opposite that she came back because they've been doing so well so she's got to like rebalance the i mean skills. i think she came back because she um, wanted to come back and that's all just her all of that is lies so yeah f- fine yeah um okay. i don't remember who she turns out to I don't actually either. be um I want to kind of segue from that because we have this idea of this all-powerful being coming to them, obviously evil, but we don't really know who or what she really is. But in the guise of a woman yeah. who is like here to save them. And I, I, want, I bring that up because the show, I was struck by the scenes. Like there was a lot of like, there were a lot of scenes in this episode that made me kind of realize this show's relationship to women like again is that like so like your main Uh female character that's been there forever is lying silently Uh in a coma i know one of the things you're gonna bring up so the character has been punished for having a a child okay and then you also have this person here to save everybody in the guise of a woman but is secretly evil and then you also have fred who's the only woman left on the team and the only one who knows what's Mm -hmm. up and like what's going on and like now is going to be persecuted and punished for her knowledge so like i i i think like i like the idea that fred is the one who figures it out and has to save everybody i'm not complaining about that but i know what you're saying yeah but it's it's strange to me that the show is like once again the women are the ones who have to come in and fix everything and know what's up but once again we have a woman who's been punished for Having a child. I think, yeah. Like, every pregnancy on this show has only in ever ended comas. in almost yeah. certain death or in death. Um, yeah. And that also, the next main character we have that's a woman is this this being that has come to them but is, like, secretly tricking yeah, everybody yeah. and evil. And, and, and I think when I look at that in the context of the way this show has kind of treated its female characters for the long run, that sits a little less easy. Well, I have to say, what you're... I think I might be reading too deeply into that. With Jasmine, maybe, and I'll only say that really because, I don't know, I mean, for two reasons, partially just because she's just so over the top that it's like, I don't really equate her with, like, womanhood necessarily, but I think more important, I I think also, like, my understanding has always been that, like, Jasmine, the 
story was still supposed to be the same and I think it was just going to be Cordelia so like they just having them having to recast because they because Cordelia you know isn't acting right now I, I guess I'm willing to cut them a little bit of slack for recasting something obviously not for the way they've done this whole story that's a hot mess but I think the fact that now we have two bad women in one storyline is sort of a like uh it's just like a factor of like well because one of them left and they meant for it to be the same one person the whole time anyway but shoot I know uh what why I don't think you're reading too much into it is because that's actually my 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 one really big complaint for two reasons is that they have this montage so Jasmine comes in they all rally together she says I'm here to help you fight evil great and then we have this montage of them going out we get this badass shot Angel Connor Wesley Gunn they've all got weapons they're beheading vampires left and right and then the scene cuts to Fred washing a sweater and I was like are you effing kidding me I know and that was the part where I was like yes they this show has a problem with women characters for sure also Fred is a scientist and her solution to getting blood out of a blue sweater was to put bleach on it. I was like, what? <laughs> I, just, I was like, so not only is she relegated to washing clothes in this for weeks, for weeks, Fred is washing one sweater. She's doing it improperly. But I was like, but what? Like nothing about that. I was like, that is so bad. That made me more mad than anything else about this episode. You don't bleach a colored sweater. That's not going to get red out of a blue sweater or except it maybe will get all the color out of your sweater i don't know i just like i couldn't with that uh, so yes i don't know enough about stain removal to be angry about that but I'm what sorry, I do, do you bleach your colored I, I clothes you're when you're trying right. to whiten them you would never no, you never put no. bleach yeah so but, no but i think the part that really stuck out for me the most was yes that idea that like fred is at home washing jasmine's clothes and it's like she I think it was played for it comedy, was, but, like, but also so indicative. It, the the like casualness of it of like our one f- remaining female team member is gonna get swept up in this idea that she has to clean the clothes. Like it was just so much, and yeah, I think it's it was troublesome. Also be- and especially considering how much time they've spent building up Fred's like fighting skills, and she's just relegated. I mean, yeah. and I think part of it is like to give her a reason to interact with Jasmine's blood so that she then sees what's mm. really going on and like I'll be okay, honest I didn't actually make that connection. other ways to do that <laughs> yeah I agree they could have done that yeah. in a hundred ways also what's wild is that she could have just been in the fight scenes and also been washing the sweater when they were at home you know what I mean like they haven't literally not come home for for four weeks they've been leaving and coming so like I don't understand why she wasn't part of that montage and then also somehow work this sweater scene in if that's what you need to do I think that was also just, it just made it so stark that they, yes, I think they played, they thought this was a great comedic moment and it maybe would have been if it weren't for all the baggage, (laughs) but like, yeah, that cut of this like super cool, badass fight scene to spread left behind washing sweaters was just like, it, it just made it so blatant that she wasn't there participating in the fights when she's been fighting with them for seasons now. And yes, to your point, like training and figuring out how to do it. And like, yeah, sometimes she gets hurt, but she's like made a point to be there. Just, yeah, that was just kind of wild. So not my least favorite episode by far, (laughs) but. No. Also, I wanted to point out um, yet another parent from. Oh, I saw that. Yes. I noticed that too. Yes. She was like. I was like, wait, now at this point, we've got to figure out how many of them haven't been in an (laughs) angel episode. (laughs) No, I was like, oh my God, I had to pause it and then look her up. But it was definitely the mom, the religious mom. Yeah, because it's been her, it's been the mm-hmm. wizard mom, and then obviously Spike. And then, oh my god, um, I forgot about Spike. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. Huh. Oh, and then um, the scientist mom. Wait, when so was she that's in four it? of them. She was Wesley's girlfriend. Wait, really? Did we talk about this and I forgot? Yeah, she was the daughter of the wizard. Wow. I mean, I know who you're talking about, but I didn't make that connection. That's crazy. I've already I forgot. told you that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I, maybe I hadn't. So there's four of them that have been on wow. Angel. You're right that we need to count. There's more of them, I think, that have been on. I guess not. There's maybe half and half, but that's so weird. Yeah. So far, I mean, who knows that's who's going to show up. <laughs> How funny. Anyway. anyway. Anyway, I like noticed that and I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> I still haven't finished season two, so. Well, I, season three is really behind, bad. But. So... Is Elizabeth Hurley in it? She sure is. Is that who that yeah. is? 
Okay, I keep seeing previews because I've been watching Hulu and like they keep showing the preview and I'm like, is that Elizabeth Hurley? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, back to Angel. Okay, so I, I, I'm going to say that I mostly agree with you that this isn't the worst episode we've watched in a while. It's the result of the worst thing but, we've watched in a while. It's just it itself yes. isn't the problem, I don't think. But under scrutiny, it totally falls apart. I mean, I'm mostly just mad about the, the Fred sweater thing. But yeah. But I'm, I am, for once, not, like, dreading watching next week's because, like, I want to know who Jasmine is. Like, you made me spend all this time, <laughs> apparently, waiting for her, and now she's here. There better be a good explanation. <laughs> so, And I'm excited to see Fred kind of take the lead yeah, and, like, too. have to be the one to figure out not only to stay alive, but to figure out what's going on and how to convince everybody else of the problem. And let's also just commend this episode for once, or maybe this is like the second time in the whole run that they finally had a title that's like, it's not reachy. <laughs> it makes sense. I like it. It's fine. It's not laden with like mythological meaning that needs to be parsed out and then doesn't make any sense. It's just like a, a generally, <laughs> you know, contemporary reference and it, and it checks out to me, so. All right. Well, what are the titles next time that we're going to complain about? <laughs> uh, Buffy's next week is Empty Places. And Angel is the mm-hmm. magic bullet. Uh, that seems okay to me, too. I have okay. no immediate uh, problems. Yeah. Optimism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, do we do pop culture now? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, if we have no more, I don't think I, I don't have nothing anything else left yeah. in the tank about Angel. Um, yeah, let's do pop culture. Okay. I don't have anything. Oh, you don't no, have anything? Sorry. Okay. Um, what have you been well, watching? Well, I was just going to say that I am very late to this party, mm. but I finally started watching Shit's Creek. Oh, I really want to watch that too. Okay. And I am like 10 episodes into the first season, and it it's like one of those where the more time you spend with it, the more it seems funny because like you really get to know the character quirks. Mm-hmm. And um, But I think you'd really like it. It's like definitely in the vein of like Parks and Rec and shows like that where it's a universe that feels very lived in and the characters are ultimately like flawed but like the show itself has like a good heart Mm -hmm. like the characters are awful but like they're not malicious and they're just awful spoiled people but like it's like a very kind of like quiet nothing really happens show about people learning to be better okay interesting I didn't actually (laughs) know it had like a positive spin on it I thought they were just like bad I thought it was more like Seinfeld. Where no, because like, like the, the premise is like they're this really rich family who like loses everything. Mm. So they're like really spoiled and entitled. Mm-hmm. But like when they interact with other people, they're ultimately not mean. Mm-hmm. They're just clueless. clueless. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. No, I will. I've been watching really it. Enjoying anyway. that's, it. A good, that's a good recommendation. Yeah. Um, and like the Levy men's eyebrows is just like, yeah, <laughs> you know, its own thing. Like, they're, like, separate characters on the show. So, okay, that's my pop culture recommendation. Mm -hmm. What team are you on this week? (sighs) Mm -hmm. I feel like we skipped over this in a way. I want to be Team Xander because that I... We didn't talk about the eye enough, and I'm sorry. (laughs) I think we have, yeah, like, we can't go back now. I think, well, I think we can talk about it next time, because I think there'll be more Okay, but I mean the actual moment of, like, Xander, like, this is the conclusion to Xander's speech to Don about, like, you know, she told him he's the one that sees, and then Caleb repeats that back to him, and, like, "Eh," it's just, like, anyway, so Team Xander, because, like, Oh, that's right, he did say that to him. You're the one who sees everything. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, we can talk about it more next week. And also, it's kind of a poignant moment where... Xander is telling them to like rally and yeah, go into battle says, and like mm-hmm. he that happens to him because he's like the last person out making sure everybody else gets to yes. safety and Caleb catches yes. him. So it's a good Xander moment. Wherever it, it really leads, was. I can enjoy it now and I'm team Xander for the moment. Yeah, I think that's a good argument for team Xander. I was going to be team Fred. Yeah, but... I was thinking that was my second choice. But her yeah. bleaching the sweater is <laughs> that's what lost it for me. Sorry, Fred. <laughs> I know it's not your fault, well, but <laughs> Yeah. I, um, I, yeah. Maybe I'll be Team Fred next week. Maybe there's something I don't know about Clorox. I'll have to look into it. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe she was spot treating it. I don't know. I still don't think it would work. Um, okay. Okay. All right. Um, we'll be back next week. All right, yeah. Well, we'll be back, yeah, with um, the, more, the with, magic with bullet. With more laundry and, tips. Uh, imp- Just kidding. 
empty places. What'd <laughs> you say? We'll be back with more laundry tips next week. Oh, I'm just <laughs> probably not. Apparently not. We can't trust this show to yeah, tell us exactly. how to do our laundry. So, okay, kids, don't fill your sink with bleach. Don't stick your raw hands in yeah. it, and then don't don't put colors yeah. in the bleach. Exactly. That's our laundry tips. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. Right. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.